Hello and welcome to this episode of The Art and Design of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, Mystery and Horror. In today's episode, I speak with Tom Cito, who's a very accomplished uh, animator, and uh, he teaches um, in California. Uh, we talk about his uh, latest book, uh, Cookbook in Animation, uh, where he collects recipes from different uh, animators from across the, the decades. And uh, we also go much more into um, computer animation, or animation history, and uh, a lot of computer animation uh, history over the decades, and uh, what's going on now, and what might happen in the future with um, computer animation. So thank you, and enjoy. I'm speaking with Tom Cito, author of a number a number of books, actually, I'll, I'll list them quickly here, um, Drawing the Line, which is a, a history of, of, well, the untold story of the animation unions from Bosco to Bart Simpson. Uh, he's written Moving Innovation, A History of Computer Animation, a very well-regarded book from uh, 2015, and um, he will soon have, in 10 days, I guess, you'll have Eat, Drink, Animate, an animator's cookbook will be coming out, uh, which I guess has um, recipes from a, a number of animators plus um, animation history mixed in there, too. Yep. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So here today we'll talk about computer animation, but we'll also touch on on the various books. And for my listeners, I we did a full interview on drawing the line, so you can find that podcast um, episode uh, posted already. All right. Well, thank you for speaking with me. Okay. Nice to talk to you. So first, uh, let's let's touch on the cookbook. Um, you know, where where what's the genesis of that? Well, it's funny. Um, you know. But I can, I can say now, 40 years ago, mm -hmm. um, when I was working for Richard Williams, and I had a chance to assist Grim Natwick. And for those who don't know, Grim Natwick is the artist who designed Betty Boop for mm -hmm. Max Fleischer. Mm -hmm. So he was the lead animator of Betty Boop. He also was the lead animator on Snow White for Disney. So he was a very legendary artist in, in animation circles. And uh, he's originally from uh, Missouri, from Chillicothe. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and one of the things that he liked to do is share with his assistants his personal chili recipe. So I had Grimm's chili recipe. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then I had, uh, you know, I realized I had Walt Disney's chili recipe. <laughs> and, and I had a recipe from Hayao Miyazaki on cooking ramen for the crew at night. And I thought, you know, I could do a cookbook. <laughs> and, and one of the things that surprised me was that a lot of um, people whose job is working with an abstraction, like you're working with paper or you're working virtually, you know, you know, digitally. Um, a lot of people, a lot of those sort of people whose full-time job is working with virtual elements, uh, 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 like to relax by doing something tactile. Hmm. Like a, a lot of computer programmers like to garden or refinish uh, antique furniture, hmm. and a number of them cook. So once I started asking people, "You have a recipe?" You know, they were like, "Okay." Yeah, so mm -hmm. I have like, um, you know, recipes from Chuck Jones and from Frank Thomas and Bob Clampett, mm -hmm. um, um, modern day Pete Doctor, Michael Giacchino, Brenda Chapman, Eric Goldberg. You know, they, they all popped in with something, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and it doesn't all have to be gourmet. Some of it is very simple, mm -hmm. you know, so, so it goes everything from, uh, I had an assistant, uh, on, who worked on Osmosis Jones and Iron Giant. Who's now a chef at the Ritz Carlton in Florida, yeah. and he he sent me a gourmet recipe um, down to a guy who used to direct death metal videos, and and, and he he gave me a recipe for picklebacks, mm -hmm. which is which is bourbon and pickle juice. Oh, okay, huh. interesting. <laughs> like, okay, okay, you know I'm not judging, you know. So, so. but uh, but once you started looking, it's fun, you know, you know so. So now, have you cooked each of these yourself, or have you had other people cook them based on the recipes? Well, um, um, yeah, I cook most of them myself, but also uh, a very good friend of mine named Robert Lenz is a story artist, and um, he was actually the head of the story. Uh, um, he was the head story artist on Toy Story, mm -hmm. and, and and he studied to be a chef. So 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 he wanted to help. So he he did a lot of the recipes as well, mm -hmm. and also like once you start. 
asking people resources. You suddenly go, you start finding about all these second, you know, people going, oh yeah, I love cooking. You know, it's just, it, it's fun. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you could do that, you know, you, you don't engage your eyes and, you know, and, and it's kind of relaxing. And as Picasso said, it's good. You can eat it. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you, um, the, these animators, did you notice, do they have much food reference in their, their works? You know? <laughs> Well, yeah, well, that happens a lot. I mean, I mean, Miyazaki's stuff, I mean, you look at Spirited Away, there's so much about food in, in, in the story. Mm-hmm. There's so much about eating and all, and, and preparing food and all. So, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of that. And of course, you know, with Snow White, you've got the soup eating sequence, and, uh, you've got, uh, uh you know, th- there's a lot of, uh, additional things to preparing food and such. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a number of Betty Boop things, uh, one thing I noticed, uh, like with the older art, um, the older animators, but the ones who came of age during the Great Depression, mm-hmm. like the previous generation, is that their recipes tended to be kind of Spartan because of the, you know, the needs of the Depression. Huh. So, so, so the recipes are very simple. You know, like, uh, Ward Kimball created Jiminy Cricket. You know, uh, um, John Kimball, his son told me, he says, yeah, dad would open a can of corned beef hash and throw some peanuts in it. Here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you hit the basics, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you know, so, and it's interesting because, um, I did a lot of research in, uh, older Hollywood restaurants because, uh, you know, I was talking about Chasen's, which was a very famous, um, Hollywood restaurant where Walt Disney met Leopold Stokowski mm-hmm. and first talked about the idea of combining classical music with animation mm-hmm. that resulted in Fantasia. And um and I noticed that the 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 um the older like sort of golden age Hollywood establishments, most of the clientele being the actors and uh you know and p- performers were originally vaudevillians, which hmm. meant that you know you slept in railroad stations and flop houses and you you know, you know and was very hard living. Mm-hmm. So uh, so um, on the menus, uh, it reflected that in that. They would have elegant uh, dishes like turtle soup and foie gras and caviar. And then they would have a thing called hobo steak, which is you take a cheap cut meat and roll it in salt and bake it, you know? Hmm. <laughs> like, it's the kind of thing that you could make on a, on a, on a, in a dumpster fire, you yeah. know? <laughs> and I noticed that they would have all these kind of, and, and each one of these elegant restaurants had a chili recipe. Because huh. this chili was like an easy thing to do, you know? Huh. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's switch to uh, computer animation history. Um, I had mentioned I had just seen How to Train Your Dragon three. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen it. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. So um, you know, I read I read a review or some comment that it's at the forefront of computer animation. Maybe do you agree? Is it is that film? Does it show us what the most that's possible right now is or Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I think yeah, yeah. I, I mean, each new film tries to push the envelope, you know, like, you know, and try to try to plus, you know, the the way things look. You know, you look at the the last Toy Story, you know, the, the um, you look at the Toy Story films and you look at compare it to the first one. Mm-hmm. Just like with How to Train Your Dragon, like this is number three. You look at number one, and you can see the difference. Mm-hmm. You can see how much more sophisticated the imagery is now. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a never ending kind of like arms race to kind of like, you know, you know, improve the, the look of these films. Mm-hmm. Now, I just uh, came across an article on, um, the, pro- I'm probably mispronouncing it, but Oob Iwerks. Oh, Ub. Ub, Ub Iwerks. Ub Iwerks. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was just talking about how his, I guess his ultimate passion was developing the technology of animation. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it just made me wonder, is there, is there anyone right now who's that, who, who's as much a pioneer as he is, or is it more a collective effort among, among people? Uh, I'd say it's a collective. Um, you know, when computer animation began, um, originally it began with research scientists and engineers working on their own, mm-hmm. not really knowing that much about filmmaking or animation. You know, except buying, you know, like a, a how to animate guide. You know, there was a famous workbook done by the MGM animator Preston Blair, 
that that was like the the bible for a lot of the industry in the 70s and 80s like a lot of people were buying Preston Blair's book plus um Hallison Whitaker's you know time and animation um but you had scientists working in a vacuum like on their own and then you'd have the occasional artist or animator who was interested in telling stories in not just you know with pencil and paper but wanting to do something you know uh, uh, uh digitally and it wasn't until the late 80s with the advent of studios like Pixar and Pacific Data Images, that they started to melt. And and the, the system that was created by Ed Catmull and Albie Ray Smith and the folks at Pixar was that for every tech person, you had an artist. You had an artist, tech, artist, tech. Mm-hmm. And and they would complement one another. You, you, you know, the artist would say, I need this, and the tech would invent it. You, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, that that seemed to be a good relationship. And, and, and so this way, the, the, the engineering people could do what they do best, and then the artists could do what they do best. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing I came across was, I guess, um, an article on Spielberg, people saying that he, he's really pushing that the uh, movie theater experience needs to remain. I guess he was pushing back on Netflix winning, winning mm-hmm. awards. So it makes me wonder, is there, as far as animated film, is it, are there factors about that? Um, the animation process or whatever that this still makes theaters the way to see them or, or is it fine on a small screen? Well, you know, I, I can't speak to the Spielberg issue because I haven't read the whole thing yet. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I'm going to hear about it soon mm-hmm. at the next uh, governance meeting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, I think a, a lot of people feel like we're losing a little something with, uh, from the movie experience by watching things on a small screen. Mm-hmm. Because there's something about losing yourself into a film, mm-hmm. you know. You, you know, you you know, um, the old Hollywood film director John Huston used to say, "If I could make you forget who you are and where you are for 90 minutes, I've done my job." Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning, if you're watching a film and you're thinking, "Oh, I got to pick up the laundry on the way home, and I got to get potato salad," or something, then the film isn't that interesting. Mm-hmm. It, you know, a really good film holds you. You know, until the credits, and then and then you kind of you know you know go back to what you're doing, and the danger is by by everything going to a small screen, we're losing that. And you know, when you see big spectacles, you know, big large films, you know, with a lot of stuff in it, mm-hmm. it's um it, it you know it sort of increases the filming uh, the the film going experience. Uh, uh, I, I know that it, it, you know, the, uh, an interesting thing that happens in Hollywood is, um, is people say it's a conventional wisdom until somebody proves them wrong. Hmm. So, so for a long time, people are saying that HBO and Showtime and Netflix are doing such great shows that, you know, things like romantic comedies and smaller films won't work in theaters anymore, only the giant, you know, Star Wars type things. Mm-hmm. But then a movie like Crazy Rich Asians comes up mm-hmm. and becomes a gigantic hit. So okay, there's a rom com that that did just as successful as any Star Wars or anything. Mm-hmm. So so there's always that you, you know at the same time, and, and 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 there's also a thing too about uh, you know there's something about getting out of the house and getting together with a bunch of friends and going to the movies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's enjoyable. And um, I think that. It holds true for animation as it does for live action. Mm-hmm. So um, back to the technology of computer animation. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the past year, you know, again, ref- referring back to How to Train Your Dragon 3, what what obstacles or, or changes did they make or, or what did they overcome to make their picture just a little bit better than the last? What, what What's going on? What are people studying and, and trying to get better? Well, I think... Um, I think that, uh, you know, that they're doing a lot of great stuff with rendering, mm-hmm. you, you know, with making the stuff feel more 3D, you know. And when I say 3D, it's like, it's like as opposed to like a flat drawing mm-hmm. where you're creating a, a, you know, a virtual object and, but you're making it, you're shading it and you're texturizing it in such a way that it's believable as a, as a real thing, almost like a photograph. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you can do that with fantasy characters, that's that's a great thing. You know, uh, I have a funny anecdote in the book about back in the '80s when um, when one studio was trying to get some uh, effects work uh, on on the on the Star Trek movies, 
I think it was like Star Trek Three. And what they did is they took a frame of the the, the Enterprise uh, spaceship and they built a virtual one in the computer. So they had a uh, you know they had a virtual Enterprise. This is like 1983 or something. So this was still very new. Mm. Now it's like no big deal. But back then it, it was still revolutionary. And they brought in the folks, uh, the studio heads, and they said, "Here's the Enterprise. You can turn it around. You can look at it from any angle. You can make it go fast. You can stretch it. Whatever you want, you know, you can have it done." And the and the and the the, um, the CG guy said, "We lost the contract." When one of the producers said, "That's beautiful. Um, can I hold it?" Just <laughs> no, you can't hold it. It doesn't exist. It's virtual. And he goes. But I want to hold it. Just, no, you can't, you know. <laughs> and, and he said, it's like somebody had passed gas in the room. Suddenly, like, like all the air went out of everything, and they walked away disappointed. And it's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> we just showed you this amazing technology, and, and yeah. you just missed it. It went over your head. Yeah, completely. So I also noticed... Um, the movements of the characters were so uh, precise, and and they caught emotional, you know, emotions in the face and the body language. It started to make me think that, you know, real actors need to worry because if they're animating people that well, showing real human emotion as they did, you know, are are actors just going to become uh, unimportant in the process? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship because the actors, of course, you know, add a lot to it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it, it, there's always that issue of, of, um, of people saying that, well, you, you know, we'll do the, we'll do the motion capture thing. We'll take the actor and we'll put the little sensors all over their face and then, then, then we'll capture the, the performance. Mm-hmm. So there's that going on as well. But, mm-hmm. uh, with really good character animation, it's always the skill of the animation artist, the animator himself. Uh, Ollie Johnston, who was one of the Disney Nine Old Men, used to say, uh, a good animation is not just copying life, it's caricature of life. Hmm. It's life plus. You know, it's that little extra something, you push it a little bit, and that's what gives you your performance. Mm-hmm. Kind of like um, when, uh, when Weta did Gollum in Lord of the Rings, they they um they they used you know Andy Circus and all the you know all the stuff that he did, but they also had some very strong character animators on their team, you know so they had like some ex Pixar people and all ex Disney people, and and they really knew how what to how to work with the with the live action data to improve it to create the the sort of the, the more larger than life performance of the of um of, of the Gollum character, mm-hmm. and and it shows. So how about, um, is as much effort being put, I, I assume so, in backgrounds and um, those things in, in an animation a field of view that aren't the focus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah a great deal of attention is, is paid to that. One of the things that's happened in the last 10 years is the cinematography in animated features has really improved. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, animated features in the 1990s, up until about about 2005, uh, it was all kind of lit the same way. It looked like you know you know it looked like a cheap video game. You know it was very mm. bright, very simple. You know the grass is green, the sky is blue, the trees are brown. You know, and then uh, starting like around Puss in Boots and around that that kind of time, they started to uh, uh, they started to bring in real cinematographers to sort of work with the lighting on these films. People like Roger Deakins. And, um, what's the name? Um, I'm gonna, the guy who directed Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I'm sorry. It's, uh, oh, Guillermo. Uh, yes, yeah, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guillermo had, has, has, like, worked with the animation directors at DreamWorks on a number of these films, improving that, that sort of light and shadow, you know, it, it, you know, sort of improving the cinematography of the films. And, and, and that's had an effect. You know, like it's the the films are much more atmospheric than they were, say, like twenty years ago. So, you know, when I think about them filming animation, um, I, all I imagine is that they draw, you know, frame by frame, and and then just add them up. Is the process more complicated 
um, than that? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, it starts with drawing. It starts with, you know, you know, planning, staging and stuff, storyboard, whatever. And then there's a, and then there's a system, what they call blocking, where, where they'll, they'll figure out the major sets, you know, like you have something like a Puss in Boots Castle or, um, or, uh, you know, Tubeless's, you know, you know, the place where he, he lives. And they'll build that in 3D. They'll build that virtually. And then they'll block out the characters. They, they, you know, they have to build the characters in 3D. So it's almost like creating a, a, a marionette or a puppet, you know, with hinges and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like I think, um, I think the last Shrek, uh, uh, I think in the last Shrek, I think just his face had like 600 controls on it. Mm-hmm. All the little things that, you know, you, you know, to create good facial expression. And again, too, this is in connection with live action acting, you know, um, there was a great, there's a great anecdote about Elizabeth Taylor telling Richard Burton once, because you know, her husband Richard Burton was a was a Shakespearean actor who was used to acting for the stage where you project a great deal, mm-hmm. and she grew up in front of a camera, you know, on a Hollywood screen where everything that she says, everything she does is blown up large, and and Taylor said, you know, I can express I can express myself with my nostril, like all I have to do is go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on a big screen, you'll see it. You'll mm. see it that big, you know. So it's knowing that type of control and what you're working with. Mm-hmm. So, so that all goes into it as well. It's in the construction. And, and, and so there's the performance, but then there's also the staging. And then it's also what they call a lighting pass. You know, it, you know, where they work out again, like how, how scenes are lit. You know, you know, you know, how they work together. Um, if you think of like, uh, you know, if you think of like Ridley Scott stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ridley Scott was very influenced by movies like Barry Lyndon and everything, which had a lot of um, environmental light coming in from the windows and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and, and, uh, and so, so you look at a lot of his movies and, and there's a very moody type of uh, lighting to them, you know, which is, which is fun, you know, even the science fiction things like Blade Runner and all, you know, it's a very moody looking film. Mm-hmm. And it's because he's telling the story with light and shadow as much as he's dealing with character. Now, from what I've read from his bio, he, he started out studying to be a painter, I think, and then switched to yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, he's a pretty good artist. Yeah, yeah, he was an art director before he was a director. Mm-hmm. So his stuff always has a great look to it. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's really, it's really, it, it, he's a fun one to study. And a lot of times, um, you know, I teach storyboard. And um, a lot of times, uh, you know, Ridley would draw his own storyboards. You know, and, and I think, um, if you get his first movie, The Duelist, mm-hmm. uh, um, a, a, on the DVD, there's a comparison of his boards to the finished cuts. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of look at them side by side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great movie. I, I love that one. Yeah, me too. Okay. Um, now, now you're, I think I read that, uh, with the Motion Picture uh, Academy, um, you're associated with the short films and the animation branch. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. so? Now, is that short animated films or short films and animation? Uh, it's a combination because it's um, a, a, the original branch was 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 shorts and it was animated shorts and live action shorts, mm-hmm. and then and then feature animation wasn't added until two thousand one. Mm-hmm. So all the movies before two thousand, you, you know, um, there'd be an occasional. Like, like, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs got a special Oscar. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 1988, got, got a special Oscar for, for its effects. But that was pretty, uh, that was pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2001, we created a regular category for it. And so that's all in, in our division. Okay. And I ask because I'm curious, um, I don't know how much you're aware of, of sort of these smartphone, uh, Visual editing tools, you know, you have Vine used to be out, you have TikTok, um, you have these ways that the average person can put together videos that go viral. Um, and I'm just curious how much that behavior, um, that sort of stuff influences short films now or, you, you know, animation or, or whatnot. Is there a lot of experimentation that you see or, or how is that going? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's exciting. You know, it's interesting to see what people are doing with the footage. And a lot of times, you know, people will recut stuff 
and and um, and uh, you know and, and put a spin on it that's that's fun. Like somebody once did a uh, somebody once did a, 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 a recut of Mary Poppins and cut it so that it looked like a horror movie. Mm. You know, and it was very funny. Mm. You know, like it, it it worked really well. Mm. But somebody else like recut the Ten Commandments, the Charlton Heston movie in 1956, and made it look like a look like a, a high school teen comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Moses is back and Pharaoh's got him. Whoa! Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's very funny. You know, so that kind of filmmaking is great. It's like guerrilla filmmaking, and it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's exciting to see what they'll do with it, and then. Every once in a while, you'll, you know, like a, a diamond in the rough will pop out. Like, uh, there was a British animator, t- um, I think it was like 10 years ago, named Simon Tofelt, who was teaching himself Flash, you know, one of the 2D animation programs. Mm-hmm. And, and he made these little exercises about his cat, and he called him Simon's Cat. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he started posting them on YouTube and all, and now it's exploded and it's become his career. Mm-hmm. He's got, uh, he's doing a long film, he sells merchandise. There's like a dozen or so of these little films, and they're charming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just they're very witty and they're very funny. And if you're a cat owner, you'll you know you recognize a lot of the the, the things that he does with the characters. Mm-hmm. But there's an example of uh, I think there was a there was a there was a Chinese proverb years ago called uh, "All great ideas begin as a hobby." Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, now. I want to ask about, so animation film now in the U.S., you know, you have pretty standard storylines. You have fantasy or whatever. Um, but if you look at, like, in Japan, anime is, you know, goes in all kinds of crazy directions. There's, you know, sci-fi. There's horror. There's all kinds of things they explore. Um, whereas I don't see that so much in the U.S. anymore. You know, in the 70s, you had, like, heavy metal. You had... Um, you know the the Lord of the Rings version by um Bakshi again I I'm mm-hmm. not sure so so I don't I don't really see that nowadays in the U S Do you think we're ever going to go back to that You know is that what directions are we going mm-hmm. Well you know it, it, yeah I, I mean the the Japanese tradition is kind of unique you know because um in in the 1930s into the 40s um, Walt Disney and the studio system. Um, pushed animation towards a performance-based thing, uh, and, and, and really kind of based on, on short film comedy. A lot of the uh, older animators studied Charlie Chaplin and um, Laurel and Hardy and all, and wanted to put that in, the, in their films. So, so the film sort of evolved out of the short comedy. While in Japan, Wonder Animation evolved out of manga, which was comic books, mm-hmm. and it was this action-adventure and it's much more, and you know, and and manga was always adult as well as well as children. Then the other thing that happened in the states was in the 1950s, when when all these studios basically unloaded their short libraries on television. The perception that arose in Hollywood was that animation was children's fare, and that's all, you know, and it's just babysitter stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the 60s and all, you had four hours of Saturday morning to fill between the serial commercials. So they just, you know, packed it with, with all these old cartoons. Yeah. And, um, and and it's been a, a, a thing that Hollywood animators have been trying to beat for years. Like, why can't we do more mature stuff? Why can't we do more serious work? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, um, it's, you know, the problem, too, with, with, with Hollywood animation is that it's such a high-stakes gamble. You know, you, you know, is you know the the average animated film, uh, you know, a good quality DreamWorks Pixar style, style feature, is is somewhere north of a hundred million dollars to make now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, you, you know, when I started working on films like Ray Eddie Ann and Andy in nineteen seventy seven, that film considered to have a bloated budget of four uh, four point nine million. Mm-hmm. You know, now you have a you know film like uh, Brave was like 185 million. Mm-hmm. You know, so it shows you like the chain, and 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 a lot of times the studios are wary about doing um, something that pushes it too much because they're worried about a large uh, a large failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know things like Titan AE came out and flopped. You, you know, while the next film that Fox turned out was was uh, Ice Age, mm-hmm. which was a tremendous hit. Mm-hmm. So. So it's, it's, you know, you know, and, and the thing is, 
partly it's the problems that we had educated, you know, um, our audience to accept the idea that animation's for kids. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I was working at Warner Brothers, and we would do test uh, test audience things, the hardest thing was teenagers because they were like, they didn't want to be they didn't want to be seen going to a cartoon because it didn't look cool. Hmm. You know, you know, so uh, that's a thing that we've been sort of like, you know, that that has to be overcome. You know, and I think it's basically towards examples of more and more successful adult animated films. Mm-hmm. Now, why um, why are computer or why, why is animated why are animated films so expensive now? Is it are, are, do they have are the staffs that much bigger? Are they super specializing on elements of of creating this animation? How does that work? Well, you know, the thing that I thought was funny was when computer animation first began, you know, um, part of the selling point, they would say, is the films will be a lot cheaper because you won't need as many people. Mm-hmm. You know, you could make it with a smaller crew. And indeed, you know, something like, say, like digital paint, uh, uh, in traditional animation, the largest department in terms of people was always the ink and paint department. That was always like, like you know, 500 people or something at Disney. Now, the same work of 500 can be done by 20, you know, digital painters. But as you see, if you ever, when you ever see one of these large animated movies go by, you'll see these Roman legions of names going by, you know, just like in the credits. And you go, who are all these people? It's all software people. And, you know, like, there was one guy, uh, you know, his only job was to make sure, uh, uh, oh, I remember on the first How to Train Your Dragon, a friend told me that they had uh, eight, uh, was it, uh, no, I said they had five engineers whose only job was the father's beard. Hmm. To make the beard feel like a beard. Like, <laughs> so when he shook his head, right. it, it moved like a beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and each one of those people is a salary with a family, and, you know, and, and, and they make a living. Mm-hmm. Now, what other um, applications does this coding and technology have, say, in, in science or, you know, medicine or, um, but where else can it be used? Well, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you know uh, there's a lot of computer, uh, a lot of animation being done now, yeah, in the medical, in medical research in flight simulators. Hmm. You know, um, I mean, uh, one of our professors at USC who worked with me and all, and he worked in movies as well, but he also worked on the, the original flight simulator of the space shuttle. Hmm. You know, which is like, let's build the thing virtually before we have to build it for real hmm. and, and make sure it works. You know, they, they had to work out how the arm that was taking things out of the cargo bay and stuff, you know, would work in space. Hmm. Um, a lot of things about uh, biology, a lot of things about uh, neurons and blood flow and, you know, platelets and things like that. You know, it's, it's much easier to do in a, in a virtual sense. Hmm. Uh, um, uh, I myself, I can help collaborated on some animated films. Um, one one was about the amount of um, how plastics uh, uh, that are being dumped in the ocean is increasing the amount of estrogen, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the water, in, in, in ocean water, and how that affects the, uh, the ecology. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's hard to explain that. Uh, actually, one of my favorites was uh, one time I had to animate uh, uh, why rabbits eat their own poop. Oh, okay. <laughs> Apparently they have to. It's like the first time it passes through their system, mm-hmm. it's not uh, digested yet. The second time they eat it, that's when they actually get nutrients and actually get something out of it. Because watching that in, in real real live action is disgusting. Yeah. So, like, have a cartoon character do it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's much more palatable that way. Yeah. Both ways. <laughs> huh. So, I'm trying to, I'm still trying to get my head around you know, like, let's say, or just talk about a college program that deals with computer animation and, um, or a studio that's trying to budget how much, um, a feature will cost. I'm still trying to understand technology, like, I don't want to say who's more important, but how each one affects between the, the engineer and the actual animator. You know, how I'm still trying to understand that dynamic and the cost yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, 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 a very good, uh, uh, a very good computer animator once taught me and told me years ago, today's innovation is tomorrow's screensaver. Mm-hmm. So, so things that seem like a big breakthrough, you know, at one point in a couple of years, it's like no big deal. Mm-hmm. So, 
if you're thinking, if you're wanting to make film, you know, you know, on a budget, then, then, you know, there's a lot of off-the-shelf software now that that, that works fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, back in the when Toy Story was first being created, and uh, you know, and a lot of the early films were being done, Tron and stuff like that. There was no retail software; they were making it up as they went along. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there was a lot of trial and error. And um, but now the, the the software packages are are, are good enough to be professional grade. Now, the thing is, the leading studios doing the large films, like the How to Train Your Dragons and the Toy Stories, uh, I mean, a lot of that is is people not only expect a good movie, they expect the next technological advancement. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, you know, you you look at the career of James Cameron. The last ten, twenty years, every film that he's done has been a breakthrough in computer graphics. Like, you know, Terminator Two. Was a big breakthrough in computer graphics when when the when the when the Robert Patrick character melts through the through the jail cell bars and reassembles on the other side, you know that was a very big deal in 1991. And then he and, and then of course you know you know that if followed that up with Titanic, and Titanic was a big breakthrough because when you you saw the real people walking around on the deck of his ship and they're not real they're all synthesians. Mm-hmm. But yet we accept them as real, real people, and then, and then of course Avatar. So each film was a was a, a new, a new breakthrough. So I'm sure he's dealing with everybody's expecting the next big, you know, thing, you know, you know, the next film he does. So if you're on that track, then then that's one type of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to make film on a budget, I think I think you could work with existing technology. You know, and, and uh, you know, and then it comes to your your storytelling ability. You know, you know how good that is. Like you know, the the um, the minions being done at Sony. You know, despicable me. You know, uh, Sony's a great studio. They do great stuff, and all. And um, nothing. Uh, you know, but it's it's just it was a fun story, well told. Mm-hmm. And and uh, personally, I was very excited about when Spider-Man and Spider-Verse came out. Mm-hmm. That was kind of fun because. It, it was it was like suddenly like a throwback to to uh, it's playing with the format of the adventure film, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, if you think about it, in the 1930s, Walt Disney pushed animation to be more and more realistic, more and more realistic. So he got to Bambi, where Bambi was so realistic, people felt like, why don't you just get a camera and film a deer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, why, why are we bothering to draw this? Yeah. And there was there was a reaction. It was called the UPA Revolution, which was the UPA studio said, "Who said the final goal of animation is to be live action? Why can't we be graphic? Why can't we do more styling stuff?" Mm-hmm. And I think CG is, is is at that point now, where if you want to animate a fire breathing dragon running down your street, you can do it, mm-hmm. and it looks really good. It looks photo real and perfect. Uh, but then the artists are saying, "Is that all there is? You know, why can't we be stylized?" Mm-hmm. And and Spider Verse, uh, they play with the format of it being a comic book. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not afraid to make it look graphic. You know, there's there's word balloons coming out of characters' heads, mm-hmm. and you can see the the um, the borders of a comic book. You know, page. Mm-hmm. You know, like like in in the actual film, and that's kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's something it's something different. Yeah. That's when I have to see that one. I haven't seen it yet, but that's interesting to hear. Um, it's a very good point. Um, so are there, I was going to ask, are there any studios that are basically focused on storytelling and using off the shelf technology? And it sounds like you're saying the Sony, Sony studios is doing that. And are there other studios doing that? Yeah. Well, you know, illumination and stuff, you know, is doing the, you know, the minions, you know, that project. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you know. I mean, Disney, Pixar, and DreamWorks will always be at the forefront. You know, they'll always be doing their thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, the, the other thing was fun about Spider Verse was that, yeah, it was fun to see, you know, that film succeed. You know, when it was trying in such a different, uh, such a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, to go and film it. So I'm very happy for Sony about both. But um, I think, I, I think, you know, the, there are smaller films being done. You know, my my old uh, uh, directing partner, Pete Kuhn, has just done a film in Holland with his cat character that's coming out soon. I, I, I forgot the name of it, but uh, 
But, you know, there's, there's very interesting stuff being done in Europe as well as Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it, it's just that, you know, not all of it gets to the American market. Yeah. Now, are um, TV shows, car- cartoon TV, um, are they using more more of the advanced but off-the-shelf computer animation? I haven't been following um, that as much, but maybe you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean a, a, a few years ago, you, you know, like we, we differentiate between 3D programs. A 3D program would be something like How to Train Your Dragon, something where you make the character look very almost photo real, you know, you know, like very rounded. And, you know, and, and, and you would use, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, which was software like Maya and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in television, they'll do more sort of 2D drawing based programs. Mm-hmm. Originally it used to be Flash. And then there was a French program which, uh, called TV Paint, mm-hmm. which, um, the French had done a couple of successful films like Ernest Celestine, and the cat in Paris, um, that that were very popular, and and uh, the TV studios have picked up on using TV paint, and so there's the, those type of uh, you know formats. Um, the difference is in television, television is much more dialogue oriented hmm. because um, less physical action, you know, because because it's it, it's it's more expensive to do big battle scenes and running and fighting and things like that, while characters saying very witty stuff to one another is you just do replacement mouse, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and all the humor, you know, all the humor is in the, is in the writing. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Chuck Jones, before he died, used to talk about uh, uh, modern TV shows, and he says, it's very good radio, <laughs> meaning you can turn off the picture and you'll still laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, so- do, are there any um, animated films that have come out recently from other countries that that you thought were really good, but maybe general audiences weren't aware of? Any stuff you're coming across? Yeah, yeah. I think um, um, there was a, um, like I said, there, there, was some, there was some fun French films. There was this one called Ernest Celestine, mm-hmm. which which is a charming little film, and 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 it's funny, you know, because it's it's using. A, 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 a digital a digital format. Um, it looks like it's like hand drawn watercolors, hmm. but but it was done digitally, you know, which which is kind of fun. Hmm. And and, and uh, you know and uh, they made another little film about the um, oh my goodness it was it, it was a little thing about a fox hmm. and all which which came out last year which which was fun. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more interesting things being done, you know, internationally. I mean, even like something like the, you know, the Despicable Me, the Minions movies, um, they would, the, the pre-production was done in America, uh, uh, there's some work being done in Canada. There was also some, uh, parts of it were being animated in Paris and Hungary, mm-hmm. you know, and some, some of it in London as well. So, mm-hmm. all that stuff and everything, that, that all, you know, so it, it's become much more, uh, global. Right, right now. You mm-hmm. know. Now, how about? I was going to say there's, there's also great work being done in India and China. You know, uh, you know, on their on their own feature films. Yeah, I was going to ask because those are huge markets that I mean they don't to some extent they don't even need to go outside their market to still make money because they have such large audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, China yeah, that's and true. India. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disney had a satellite. Uh, a studio in India just to make stuff for the Indian market, mm-hmm. in, you, know, you know, because they're they're again they're, their film industry is so robust, you know, and a lot of people there still go to the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, so 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 it's it, it, it's actually very cost effective for them to make films over there. Would they even release those films in the U.S. for you know enthusiasts, or is it, or do they even bother you know dubbing or subtitling or whatever to let Americans see it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, it, it 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 depends, you know, because the problem is, yeah, the American audience is uh, is kind of um, you know inward looking, you know, the things, you know, we like our films and stuff, you know, we don't want to read subtitles, mm-hmm. and um, it's tough, you know, because I mean, even even like you know, top Japanese movies like anime and stuff, they do very well on the coast, mm-hmm. you know, they do very well on the east coast and the west coast, the interior of the country, nothing, yeah. you know, and, and and you know, Disney did these things where they would take a Miyazaki film and they would bring an all-star, they bring in like real movie stars to redub all the movie and they do a really good 
you know, high quality, uh, redub into English. And the audience just goes, well, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not there. You know, like, like, I mean, the people who love Japanese animation love it and stuff. There's always that core fan base. Mm-hmm. And, and again, too, it does very well in, 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 in certain markets, but overall in the country, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't hit like the way a frozen does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is anything interesting coming out of Russia? Have you seen any Russian animation that's notable? Um, well, the Russians do stuff for their market. Yeah, yeah, again, too, they have a huge, they have a huge global market there. Um, they, they haven't done as much, uh, uh, in terms of international cooperation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's been a lot of back and forth between different, you know, um, you know, different, like a lot of artists came here to work, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. the, um, the Hotel Transylvania movies is directed by Gandhi Tartakovsky, mm-hmm. who also did Samurai Jack. And, you know, mm-hmm. Gandhi's originally from, 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 from his, uh, the old Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, the, he gave me a good recipe, too, for, uh, for, for cutlets. So. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so he's in the book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you, know, if you saw Hotel Transylvania 3, but it's very good. It's, okay. it's very funny. You know, so. uh, what, when did that come out? I came out last summer. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how about animation mixed with live action? Is there, is that, does it just basically follow developments within the animation field, or is there, is that its own sort of developing? You know, does it develop on its own in some way? Yeah. Well, it's it, it yeah it's a it, it's a different it's a different you know class of beast there. You know, um, we call those films hybrids. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, a hybrid will be. A movie like, um, uh, you know, uh, Ted, you know, you, you know, the one with, um, Mark Wahlberg and, and the teddy bear, the vulgar teddy bear, you know, mm-hmm. or, or something like that, where it's one, it, it's a live action movie with an animated character mm-hmm. in it, you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, the borders are, are so porous now. Um, when I started animation in the seventies, it was pretty simple. You had, you had live action, you had animation. And the only time there was a crossover, would be like a Honey Nut Cheerios promotion, you know. <laughs> just, you know, they, somebody's, you know, got the little bird on their finger. Hello, Bucky. Oh, you know, and be talking. Okay. Um, now it's like, okay, is Avatar an animated film or a live action movie? Like, how much of Avatar is live action? It's like about five minutes of Sigourney Weaver smoking cigarettes in a laboratory, mm-hmm. and the guy in the wheelchair gets up on the sundae, and that's the live action. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, the rest of it is giant blue people on flying dragons running around. Yeah, you know, so, so it's, 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 it's finding, you know, uh, there's, there's an art to sort of working out the balance between the two. I mean, I, I mean, you know, working on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and films like Hop, the one about the Easter Bunny, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, it, there's a whole, uh, you know, uh, subgenre of people who working with, within, uh, you know, uh, a live action movie, you know, but planning for the animated characters be edited afterwards mm-hmm. but it's fine so I also notice or I, I also it makes me think about um, movies you know if you think about stop motion mm-hmm. um, photography or stop motion films that use the models and whatever you have something like the Lego movie which is mm-hmm. animated but it's almost like it's trying to look like it's stop, you know, like it's using stop oh, yeah. motion models. Yeah. Deliberately. Yeah, deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of fun too, because, uh, one of the things I, I noted in movie innovation was that nobody could predict that, you know, when, when, um, when Jurassic Park came out, uh, in 1993, and it was such a giant hit and basically replaced you know, you know, um, old claymation dinosaurs like the Ray Harryhausen kind of, like, mm-hmm. you know, when you move the little thing, you know, and, uh, with with digital. Everybody thought the first thing to go away was stop motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, even Ray Harryhausen joked about it. You know, you know, the, um, Ray, uh, a friend of mine saw Jurassic Park with Ray Harryhausen, but then afterwards, uh, you know, Harryhausen said, "My God, the effects are tremendous on that. It's just uh, fantastic." And he goes, how do you feel as a, as a, as a stop motion animator seeing this? And he goes, well, as a stop motion animator, I think I and all my colleagues should find a very large clip and jump it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But you know, the, but you know, the weird thing is, since then, there's more stop motion being done now 
than was done in like 1950. Because, mm-hmm. and at any one time, there's something like five features being done. You know, I mean, the Tim Burton does stuff. And the, and the people at Ardman Animation in Bristol, England, the people do Wallace and Gromit. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they did Early Man, you know, last year, which, uh, which got, you know, was an Oscar contention for a while. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful film, the Nick Park film. And, um, you know, that Henry Selleck, who did Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, you know, and James and the Giant Peach, mm-hmm. he's got another project going. So, uh, you know, and then there's Leica in Portland, uh, you know, Oregon. Mm-hmm. That, uh, did Kubo and the Two Strings. And, uh, you know, they're always working on stuff. So there was a, a big explosion of, um, of, of stop motion animation that, that, uh, I don't think anybody saw coming. Mm-hmm. Now, wait, so when you say stop motion animation, you're talking about them using filming models and touching it up with yeah, animation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like they build the sets and you have the little characters mm-hmm. and you, Move them slightly, step back, and shoot a frame. And then you move it, and you step back, and you shoot a frame. But and do, um, it's like, go ahead. Oh, but do they touch it up afterward? Like in post, do they add, you know, digit, digital effects or anything on top of that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's where the the changes have happened. Mm-hmm. In the old days, in the Harryhausen days, it was all single frame, so it was all like boom, 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 like this. Mm-hmm. Um, what they started doing years ago was adding digital blur, motion blur between the frames. So the frames would, would, would blend from one to another. And that gave it a more natural feel. You know, it felt like, it felt like a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if you look at the making of Jurassic Park, uh, documentary, Spielberg talks about how they did some early tests using stop motion. And it, and, and Spielberg said it did, still didn't look real to me. You know, he says he, he says he wanted the dinosaurs to look like something on Animal Planet or National Geographic. Like, he didn't want it just a monster movie. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to feel like real, real, real animals. Yeah. That panted and sweat and slept. Um, but I think like in, in stop motion now, they can do that kind of stuff with the, you know, you know, digital, you know, like digitally going over things, you know, mm-hmm. just like, um, 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 uh, there was a Hungarian animator in the 40s named, named George Powell who, uh, who created this, the, the, this form of stop motion called Puppetoons. And Puppetoons was, instead of putting hinges on the mouth like Jerry Mahoney and you move the mouth up and down and you move the eyes and all, um, he actually created replacement heads. He would carve 20 or 30 facial expressions in these little heads and then Replace the head each time and shoot a frame, and that would give you your expressions. Yeah. And and so he did the puppetoons like that. And then later on, he he had a very successful career doing visual effects for movies. He did the 1950s War of the Worlds and Destination Moon and some of those things. Mm-hmm. But what uh, Leica and some of those guys were doing was they went back to the idea of the replacement heads, except using a, a, a 3D printing, so digital printing. Okay. So like one scene, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, the person's face would have 45 to 72 facial expressions. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be digitally printed out and then that would be used by the stop motion animator. And that gave it a more smooth, fluid kind of feel to it. Interesting. Now, um, I just noticed, maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but it seems like the various international film festivals have, um, like if you go to their sites, they have all the, this option to see all these um, animated films or, or short films. It seems like there's a real proliferation and focus—not focus, but attention—given uh, to these kind of films. Is that is that something new that you've seen, like growing? Yeah, well, yeah, I think that comes from the proliferation of of um, of easy uh, software tools that mm-hmm. can be used at home, you know, mm-hmm. by by individual people. I mean, um, I hate to be one of those old white bearded guys who, when I started way back, we bang rocks together, you know. Um, but I mean, literally, you know, like if you if you would do, uh, you know, if you're doing like the title animated titles for a movie, let's say like a Tony Curtis movie, like The Great Race or something, Mm -hmm. Saul Bass, and you know, and uh, those guys would do that. Um, 
and it would take a team of about a dozen artists about six to eight weeks to do the titles, you know, animated titles for this, you know, a whole team of people. Um, uh, you know, I did titles for an independent film a couple of years ago on my laptop, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just with, with, with my own setup alone, mm-hmm. you know, in full color and as broadcast quality for a movie. And and, uh, and I think people could do that now. You know, you know the, the the software is is gettable. You know, and it's and you know you pick it up pretty easy. And, and um, so there's a lot of very interesting film work being done right now. You know, like we were talking before about the the homegrown filmmakers and all. So there's a lot of you know, and it's and the, the film festivals are picking up on that. You know, and seeing that there's a great market for um, for collections of shorts. You know, uh, like the last few years uh, at the Motion Picture Academy, we've taken all the Academy-nominated shorts, live action and animation, and put them together in a program and run them in theaters. And uh, and financially, it's done very well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it, it gets it gets a good audience to come out and see. Now, how does someone like you do? You, I can't imagine you can see all these films. Are you sort of <laughs> does someone curate it for you? You know to so that you become aware of what's out there. How does that work? Well, I mean, you try to see as many as you can. You know, I mean, your eyes are bleeding after a while. It's just, you know, uh, uh, um, animator named Bob Kurtz used to say, "You see too many, you get animation poisoning." You know, so <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like there's just so much. There's so much stuff to watch now. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we have the same problem that everybody else does, which is it's hard to see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. Uh, I don't think I've ever watched The Walking Dead. You know, it's just like I don't. I, I, I heard it's a great series. I just yeah. I don't have time to see it. You know, yeah. um, so you try to get as much in as you can. Um, and then again, too, you, you know, there's there's places that distribute and things like that. Generally, generally, you know, that's that's where the festivals have a role. You know, you know, the the um, the films that do very well in festivals. Kind of get everybody's attention. So, mm-hmm. so if you have your own, you know, if you're doing your own animated film at home, you know, uh, um, you know, look up the sites of some well-known festivals. You know, go on a, go on an animated um, uh, magazine, you know, site like awn.com or animationmagazine.com, and, and they always list the, the prominent animation festivals. And, you know, and, you know, if you enter in a couple of those, you know, your film does well, then suddenly the distributors start to take notice and it starts to get more play. So with, uh, so going back to the studios, the few that are really trying to advance the art, you know, each movie is supposed to be better than the last. Is there a lot of, um, competition for the, the animators and the engineers who work in these studios? Is there a lot of movement back and forth or do they kind of stay put? Uh, within their studio and, and, you know, work there for years? Um, I think it's a little of both. I, I mean, uh, um, animation folks are kind of, uh, you, you, you know, we're kind of like a, a, a I don't say a sedentary group, but we were, <laughs> but, um, but, but generally when you have a, a, you know, a good position and stuff, you know, you, you tend to stay put for a while. I mean, you know, but like anything to do with entertainment, there's a lot of movement, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, just today I was I was I was reading uh, that that now that Disney has acquired 20th Century Fox, they're going to be shutting a lot of it down. So a lot of people are like, you know, will probably be looking for work pretty soon over there. Hmm. And um, you know, there's still the normal kind of movement. You know, empires rise and empires fall. Yeah. Um, I always tell my students that when I first moved to Hollywood from from New York in in, in like 1978. All the studios that were big powers in, in animation when I came here, uh, except for Disney, have all gone. Hmm. But we're all working, and there's all still a lot of stuff to do. You know, so when I came here, the big, outside of Disney, the big studios were like Hanna Barbera, the Patty Frailing, Film Fair, uh, uh, you know, Spun Buggy, uh, you know, uh, Filmation. All those studios are now gone. But there's new studios. I mean, you know, Netflix is doing a lot of stuff. Amazon's doing a lot of stuff. Um, you know, Illumination, you know, you know, appeared out of nowhere. Um, the, you know, so so when 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 one studio falls from the ranks, another takes its place. Mm-hmm. But you you find that the animation professionals, you know, like 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 movie stars, 
um, will go from place to place. You know, so you you can have a great career. You, you know, you may not spend forty years in one place to get a gold watch at the at the end, yeah. but you know, you know, but you'll have a pretty good career. You know, uh, uh, making making films. So, looking ahead in the future, do you can you predict what sort of the next big, not gradual development in computer animation will be, but do, can you envision a, a big major change um, and who might do it? Well, I was talking with a with a friend, um, Philippe Bergeron, who did uh, Tony the Peltry in the eighties, and he does painscaping now. He does he does animated spectacles, you know, things on the walls of buildings and stuff like that. And we were talking about, because because he was a, a, a pioneer in computer graphics, and I asked him, I said, what what do you think is the, the next big innovation? He says, you know, it's the only thing that hasn't changed in 100 years? The screen. We're still looking at a white sheet tacked up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Because maybe that's the next thing to go. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's 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 hard to predict. I mean, in 1975, uh, when I started my career, if you told me 15 years in the future, the most popular show on television is going to be an animated sitcom with a yellow kid with a jagged head, I'd say you're crazy. That's not, that's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, you know, nobody watches cartoons at night. That's crazy. <laughs> but but you know, look look how it's changed. You know, so 15 years from now. Yeah. Who knows? You know, the, the other thing that's interesting too is, um, uh, like I related in, in moving innovation, uh, sometimes things that are done by the, by the, by the government, you know, sort of science and military communities has a way of matriculating into the private sector. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, um, a lot of, um, you know, early video games and stuff were like flight simulators. Mm-hmm. Like in 1980, Microsoft just took their flight simulator to train pilots. And released it as a home game called Flight Simulator, mm-hmm. and it was a gigantic hit. Like everybody went, this is 1980. Everybody went crazy for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Velcro and you know Tang and you know the silver blanket you get when you're doing a marathon. That's from the space program. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where that comes. From. Well, one of the things um, um, uh, a lot of government people have been working on is this sort of uh, augmented reality, you know, AI kind of kind of centers where you would you would go into a, a room, uh, almost like sort of like the holodeck of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. You you would go in a room, and the room would suddenly be a street in Fallujah, and you're and and, and you have to work out a live fire exercise. Well, um, that has a way to get into the private sector, where maybe one day you're gonna you're gonna put on the goggles, you're gonna walk in a room, and you're in you know the, the Hobbitshire, mm-hmm. or you know your My Little Pony land. I don't know, you, you know so. You know, except you'll be experiencing it in 3D instead of looking at it on a screen. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So, wh- where can people find more of your your thoughts and works online? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I have a number of articles published, you know, and um, again, you, you know, the cookbook is available for pre-order on Amazon, mm-hmm. and uh, my other books are still are still available, you know, which, which, which is nice, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, you know, and, and yeah, occasionally I'll, I'll 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 do a piece of stuff for for some of the uh, some of the major you know animation related periodicals like Animation Magazine or Animation World Network. Mm-hmm. Did you want to mention you have a personal website? Did you want to mention that or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a website. I I, I don't do as much as I used to. Okay. <laughs> it's like, who was it? Uh, someone someone uh, asked Napoleon for a favor, and he said, "You could ask me anything but time." <laughs> so okay um, well that's all the questions I have do you have any uh, final thoughts or words no no I, I think um, you, you know thank you for having me and you know and, and uh, thank the audience you know for watching and uh, if you if you want to know how to make um, stuffed pork chops you know like the way Chuck Jones animated would uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, can, you can pick up my next book yeah. And uh, I also have a lot of cocktails too, so it's a lot of uh, you know Mary Blair's martini, you know. So mm, okay. You know, it's 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 inter- it's interesting, you know, too, because the, we're talking about the difference between um, uh, traditional animation artists in the '40s and '50s. It was a very sort of alcohol-based medium, you know. And then uh, and then uh, when CG got started, it was the late '60s into the '70s. 
so there was a lot of pot and LSD. Mm. <laughs> you, know, you know, but it's like these genius engineers, these guys at MIT and stuff go, dude, let's make cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they did, and it was incredible, you know. So, so it's interesting to see what's going to go next. I don't know, people uh, getting off on lattes or something. Yeah. You, decaf. Yeah. You don't have any brownie recipes in the cookbook, do you? No, I know. That would have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but that, that, that would be fun. Cool. So, yeah, so thanks for speaking with me. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit chrisalvarez.com or theartofsciencefiction.com for more great interviews, photos, and articles. Your visits help support this podcast. Please remember that my first name, Chris, does not have an H in it. One of the best ways to provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Please give me a good rating if you liked it, or feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't. I'll use that feedback to make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi, on Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC on YouTube under Chris Alvarez WLC and on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.